You could be born in the armpit of the world and sin has found you. Every human being ever has been affected by sin. And so I suggest to you the greatest disease is sin. It's a spiritual disease. Tonight is a communion service and we want to um, draw our chairs up to the table of the Lord, so to speak. Communion is always a very precious special time. You know, and I often think what it must have been like, that very first communion service where the Lord had his, his disciples there with him in that upper room. They were eating that last Passover meal together. And I often think what that must have been like, what the, the tone of it, and I'm sure that the disciples had a, a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a happy, I don't think that they were expecting what was about to come. And I think that they were, they were feeling reasonably good. It was a, a happy time for uh, Jewish families and people. And I think that's probably how they felt on that night. Um, the tone soon changed, though, didn't it? You know, there are certain things that happen in human history that seem to, to brand themselves on our brains, like how they brand cattle. There are certain things that, that just come to mind. Um, things that, I guess, as a world's people, we'll never forget. To this day... World War One. we're seeing more Hollywood movies come out about that. I don't think there's any survivors of World War One. I. I think that um, everyone from that era has passed away. World War Two. there are still a few people alive that had to go through World War Two. My wife's mother is one of those that had to endure World War Two. And she's 101, I think, now. And <laughs> she's an amazing woman. Yeah, she has an amazing daughter, too, I might add. My wife's mother-in-law. Yeah. Um, too bad she got stuck with me. <clears throat> but World War II, though, is, um, it brands itself on people's minds. Of course, there's the Korean War, the Vietnam War, in the 50s and the 70s, respectively. And I, I knew people who fought in the Vietnam War. Uh, in fact, I knew a man who flew uh, fighter planes in World War II. He's dead now, but he got saved after the war and became an evangelist. That's how I got to meet him. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. A great, wonderful man of God. Of course, the current war, hmm, the Russian-Ukrainian uh, war, that's on people's minds, and every day there's news and updates what's happening on that. And that's pretty sad, and we're praying all the time that God would use this war to bring souls to Christ, that lost souls would get saved, Russians and Ukrainians and others, but that the Holy Spirit might use it to spark revival. And, of course, we're praying for peace as well. Not only are things like wars 
branded on our mind, but there's other things in life as well. Construction projects, the Eiffel Tower. We can all right away, you know, think of what the Eiffel Tower looks like. And some of you have been there and have um, stood beside it and had your picture taken or something. Maybe you've gone up it. The Empire State Building. Many years ago, my wife and I went up the Empire State Building. And I checked it very carefully for those gorilla prints. You know, they talk about that big gorilla that went up there. I couldn't see any gorilla prints at all. So I'm beginning to think it's not true. But the Empire State Building is a great construction project. And of course, there's other heroes that have done things. Uh, men that have walked on the moon. There's all kinds of people now, men and women, that have been to outer space. Uh, there's been one guy who uh, jumped out of a hot air balloon way up in uh, outer, almost outer space. And that, he did that with, with uh, Red Bull's money backing. And that was quite something. Uh, Baumgartner, wasn't his name? Baumgartner, I think, was his name. Uh, of course, there have been any, many other people that have done amazing feats. They climbed Mount Everest. You know, that at one time was thought to be impenetrable. You couldn't get up there. But um, one man did it. And then now a lot of people have climbed Everest. And of course, uh, there are those that have tried and failed. And they're left frozen in the snow and ice on the trail up to the top of Mount Everest. That's kind of creepy, but that's true as well. But not only are there human achievements like that that sort of are branded on the mind, but there's tragedies as well. I'm thinking of the, um, the Jewish Holocaust from 1939 to 1945, and some six million Jews were mercilessly slaughtered and killed, um, all because they didn't fit in with Hitler's plan for the world. In um, 2001, um, I remember being woken up early in the morning and uh, hearing about the planes that flew into the towers, the Twin Towers in New York. 9-11, you remember that? It's 2001, so that's 21 years ago now. 21 years ago. Um, wow, that was pretty scary. And of course, there were two other planes, right? Another one flew into the Pentagon and one hit an empty field. But there was four planes altogether used as dive bombers and thousands of people died on that day. What a tragedy. Of course, in 1999, just two years before that, there was something that happened in a school in Colorado. And the name of that school has become synonymous with the kind of dastardly deed that was done, and that's Columbine. Columbine High School in Colorado. I think in Boulder, Colorado, I think. And two 12, grade 12-year-old 12 fellas, so that would put them at, what, 17, 18 years of age, somewhere in there. They armed themselves, and they went into the school, and they started shooting people, and a lot of people were wounded, and 12 people were killed, including one teacher. And they boarded themselves up in the library, and the police were there, and finally they turned the guns on themselves. But Columbine has become uh, branded on our minds and it set the stage for numerous copycat kind of killings. There's been a lot, hasn't there? Mass shootings, mass stabbings. Sometimes they, people use their vehicles 
and they plow into a crowd, hoping to take out as many as they can. Boy, these are scary days in which we live, right? Boy, it's not, not like a few years ago. Things were different a few years ago. But not only have there been tragedies and human victories and construction projects and wars that have branded on our minds, but there's also been diseases. Diseases as well. Now, I did a little look into this, and I have a couple of them. Maybe you will remember some of these names. Listeriosis. Listeriosis apparently was first discovered in 1929 in humans in Denmark. Listeriosis is an illness from infection caused by eating contaminated food, and it's a very serious one. SARS. How many remember SARS? Ah, it's a bunch of us. That's um, short for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And it was first discovered in Asia in 2002. And then AIDS. Everyone's heard of AIDS, right? AIDS is Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. It was first discovered in Africa in the 1970s. Avian bird flu. Hmm, that one's making a, a comeback. Uh, it was caused by viruses adapted to birds, uh, they were calling it H5N1, and it was first discovered in 1997 in Hong Kong. And then there was the swine flu, they called that H1N1. I prefer the name swine flu, I think, but that's a respiratory disease from pigs, and it was discovered in 2009 in the USA. The Norwalk virus, how many remember that one, Norwalk virus, yeah. And, of course, the people on the cruise ships, right? You'd get a beautiful cruise, plus you'd get Norwalk virus thrown in at no extra charge. Maybe that's not very good humor, but <laughs> that's what was happening. Norwalk virus is a gastrointestinal disease. It started in Norwalk, Ohio in 1968. And then West Nile. How many heard of West Nile? Yeah, there's another one. West Nile is a complex virus spread by mosquitoes. And it was discovered in Uganda in 1937. That goes back a few years. And of course, mad cow disease. Mad cow disease, yes. Yeah, Whew, I wouldn't want to meet a mad cow in a dark alley. That's a disease that affects cows, and we get the disease by eating the cow. That's how we get it. And apparently that was discovered in 1980s over in Britain. And then there was Ebola. And Ebola is one of the most deadly or lethal of these diseases. Um, blood clots are formed and they starve the major organs to death. That's a creepy, that's like something out of a Hollywood movie. Huh? The Twilight Zone. It was first discovered in 1976 in Sudan and Zaire over in Africa. And then there's E. coli. E. coli. That's bacteria that causes several different infections within the body. And that was actually discovered in 1885 uh, in Germany. Well, what, what could have been the world's worst disease? Well, that's up for debate, but I have a couple of them that I want you to think about. Uh, back in uh, the 1340s, now I think that's before any of us here were even in, invented, 
they had the bubonic plague. They called it black death because of the discoloration of the, the skin. And it was a disease spread by rats of all things. Rats. A um, hundred million Europeans are estimated to have died. A hundred million people. All right? Polio is another deadly disease, and it's caused 10,000 deaths since 1916. It's highly contagious. Uh, it affects the breathing. It affects the nerves. It causes paralysis, and it causes death. Now, I'm not a medical expert. These are things that I've just learned doing a little research, and this is what I've come up with. Smallpox. Smallpox causes severe rash and bumps and deformity and blindness and death. And Native Americans' population dropped by 12 million down to 235,000. Cholera is another horrible killer disease. And um, it's a bacterial disease and it affect, affects the intestines. And 12,000 deaths have been recorded since 1991. Uh, I mentioned Ebola. Um, it first appeared in 1976. Some 160,000 deaths since the year 2000. And of course it leads to weakening and bleeding and death. Malaria. Still around, by the way. It's a blood disease transmitted by mosquitoes. And from what I understand, 2.7 million people die every year from malaria. Then there's the Spanish flu. I think most of us have heard about that by now, have we? The Spanish flu. That's a real killer of a flu. And it was prevalent between 1918 and 1919, right after the First World War. And they estimate 75 million people died. Of course, these numbers are all up for debate. But, I mean, there's a lot of people. And then there's influenza. That's a common flu by the way, a common flu like what we're used to. Apparently, some 36,000 people die every year from influenza. And then there's AIDS. And I think I mentioned that one um, earlier, AIDS. And since 1981, they've recorded about 40 million deaths from AIDS. And then the one that we are all familiar with, and it's still on the doorstep, COVID. COVID is the one, and its variants. COVID seems to have started in January 2020, or maybe a little before that. Maybe it was December 2019, but 513,500,000 people have been infected by COVID worldwide. And 6,260,000 people have died from COVID-related complications. So you can make up your own mind as to what you think is the greatest of those. But for me, I think the greatest one is not on that list. I think the greatest disease is spoken of in the Bible. And it affects every single human being. It's called sin. That's what I think the greatest disease is. Because every man, woman, young person, old person, it doesn't make any distinction between geography, 
You can be born in the metropolis city. You could be born in the tiny remote island. You could be born in the armpit of the world. And sin has found you. Every human being ever has been affected by sin. And so, I suggest to you the greatest disease is sin. It's a spiritual disease. I suggest to you also that the greatest tragedy is when Christ was made sin for you and for me. He willingly left the glories of heaven. Imagine the Creator coming and dying for the creation. And I'll tell you right now that there are millions of people in the world who don't believe that. Who do not believe that the Creator would ever do a thing like that. But that's the loving God that we serve. He loved us. He became one of us. And He died on the cross. Not for His own sin. But for my sin. For your sin. He tasted death for every man. That means every man's sin. That's an interesting thought. True thought. Very interesting. So the greatest disease is sin. The greatest tragedy has got to be when God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, was made sin for us and He was crucified there on the cross. I think the world's greatest achievement is when Christ arose victorious. He conquered sin and death and harm and evil and Satan. The greatest achievement is when Christ arose victorious over death. And I believe that the greatest war is the war on sin. And every Christian is involved in that war. And I'll tell you something else. Every non-Christian is involved with that war as well. One is on the losing side. and The other is on the winning side. And we're trying with all our heart to help those who are on the losing side to come over to the winning side and to know Jesus as Savior. And so the world's greatest disease, the world's greatest tragedy, the world's greatest achievement, the world's greatest war, the world's greatest hero has got to be Jesus Christ. And maybe second to Jesus Christ has got to be the soul winner, the man or woman who will try to help lost people get saved. I think that Next to Jesus Christ, they've got to be number two. The communion table commemorates the greatest disease. It commemorates the greatest tragedy. It commemorates the greatest victory. It commemorates the greatest war. And it commemorates the greatest hero, our Savior. The communion table is given to us by our Lord, and it's actually a command. All Christians are commanded to gather around the table of the Lord. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have what I believe is the the best single source of explanation on the table of the Lord, and I'd like to direct your attention to that right now. The real meat and potatoes begins in verse 23 where the Apostle Paul wrote, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. 
This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now remember, I mentioned a little earlier at the beginning of this um, little talk that what was the mood like of the disciples as they gathered together and they parked their feet under that table with Jesus and they had the last supper with him. And I suggest to you that their hearts were, were lively. That, you know, when fellows get together, sometimes they joke around and they had a, a good time there, keeping in mind that it was the Passover meal. But it was a happy occasion, really, for uh, Jewish families. And so here they were gathered together in the upper room. And when the meal was ended, of course, the devil put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus, and that's when Judas left. Judas was not in the room when Jesus gave the communion service. He was gone. He went out to betray Jesus. And so Jesus took bread and break it and gave it to them, and they must have wondered, what's this all about? You see, we have the benefit of hindsight but they were going through it at the time, and so they didn't fully understand what was going on. And he gave them the bread, he gave them the, um, uh, the cup with, with the grape juice in it. It was not alcoholic wine. Remember that the bread was unleavened. And you know that they still use leaven or yeast. We would call it yeast. They still use yeast in uh, making alcohol. It helps speed things up. And um, they did it back then, they do it today. They were experts at making alcoholic wine back then, as they are today. They were very good at it. But there couldn't be any leaven in the bread. It had to be flat, flat, tasteless bread. That was the recipe. And the juice had to be grape juice with no alcohol in it. And so they must have wondered, what's this all about? And of course, afterwards, they more fully understood as we do, looking back with the benefit of the Scriptures. But what Christ was doing was giving them a wonderful picture of His broken body and His shed blood. And it was an absolute perfect picture of what He was about to do for them, what He has done for us, and the necessity of men and women worldwide to receive Christ. And He did it in this, um, this illustration of eating bread and drinking the juice. We're not cannibals. Don't believe in it. The Bible teaches against it. This bread does not magically become the actual flesh of Jesus. It doesn't. It's just bread. The juice does not magically become His blood. It's only juice. Perhaps you were raised in a church and you were taught that that bread became the body of Christ, the literal physical body. And maybe a priest would put a wafer or something on your tongue and say to you, receive Christ. That's not how we receive Christ. We receive Him by repenting of our sins and by prayer, inviting Him into our heart and life to be our Lord and our Savior. It's a very simple process. And it doesn't take long for an anxious sinner and a loving Savior to get together. It doesn't take long. 
And when we repent of our sin and receive Christ, that's when we're born again. Jesus said, ye must be born again. So what are we doing here? We are remembering. He said, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. He says, uh, this do in remembrance of me. That's what we're doing. It's a remembrance what he did for us. We must never forget the tremendous cost that Jesus paid for you and for me. And it's been said before, and I'd like to say it again, that if any one of us, if me, if I, were the only sinner in the world, it would still require the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to save my soul. He would still need to shed His blood. It doesn't matter if there's 8 billion people in the world, or 1 billion people, or one person, the cost of salvation is the same for one and for all. It's the death of Jesus on the cross. And hallelujah, he, he did the job. No one else could do it. He came and He did it. Praise the Lord. You know, He could have called 10,000 angels. We sang about that. You know, to come and to set them free. But He didn't. He stayed on the cross for you and for me. Boy, that's important. Don't you love the Savior tonight? We do it in remembrance, but we also do it in love. If you're here tonight and you're born again, you're saved, you've got an incredible debt you owe to your Savior. And He didn't have to, but because He loved you, He came and died for you on the cross. He took your place in hell. You know, there are actually some people who would rather go to hell than heaven. Yeah. I think there's a lot of them in the world. You talk to them and they, oh, I don't want to go to this heaven place and, you know, sit on a cloud and play a harp and have to mm, kiss Jesus' big toe or something. And they talk so crazy. Oh, you know, I'd rather go to hell and, you know, live it up with my buddies. They're in for a big surprise. In hell, they will never see their buddies. It's like solitary confinement. And hell is a scary place. And a place truly of gnashing of teeth. And weeping. And crying. And suffering. That's what hell is. Any place void of the presence of a loving God is a hell. But hell is a place of punishment for sin. And people end up in hell. Not so much because they're sinners. But because they don't take God's one and only remedy for sin. They try something else. Oh, I'll trust in my good works. I'm not such a bad person. I never murdered anyone. I'm as good as the next guy. I'll take my chances. You don't have chances. You're sunk. You're lost. The very first time you've ever committed one sin, pop, went your balloon, you're gone. You haven't a hope, a prayer. You deserve punishment. All sinners do. Only by the mercy of God and through the love of Jesus can we hope to be saved. That's very important. Whether you're here tonight or watching online, if you've never been born again, I urge you with all my heart. You need to come to Jesus. In your heart, you need to repent of sin and receive Him as Savior. I don't know everyone's heart tonight. I 
I hope and trust that everyone here is born again and saved and loves the, the Lord. I guess you wouldn't be in church if, if you didn't. I'm happy you're here. But we still need to examine our hearts. We're told, of course, here to examine ourselves. You see, in verse 28, let a man examine himself. Now, technically, the context is make sure you're saved. That's the whole context there because a lot of unsaved people at the Church of Corinth were, were partaking of the communion service and they weren't saved. And because they were partaking, some nasty things were happening to them. Some were getting sick. Some were dying. And so Paul said, let a man examine himself. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he said, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Because then he went on to say that some have not the knowledge of God. So there was unsaved people there at Corinth Church. So when we bow for prayer, which we're going to do in just a moment, we need to say, Lord, is there anything in my heart that's not right? Have I said something I shouldn't? Have I done something I shouldn't? Have I let you down? Have I made a promise and broken my promise? Have I committed some sin? Lord, is there... Is there some secret sin going on? And maybe if there is, you'll know about it. Now is the time to make that right. And you might be thinking, well, you know, Pastor, uh, I have a particular sin or bad habit, and I've been working on it and trying to overcome it, and I can't seem to, and I ask the Lord so many times to forgive me. Well, you rest assured that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you may have a dark secret. You may have a, a, a nasty, bad habit. But you know what? Most of God's children have some nasty, bad habit that they, they feel chained to or they're... They're in the process of trying to overcome. And there's lots and lots of different bad habits. And even just lack of faith. And letting God down. Maybe forgetfulness when you should be in the prayer closet every morning and you keep forgetting. That's a bad habit, don't you think? There's a lot of bad habits. But every time you confess it and ask forgiveness, the Lord will forgive you. That's His promise. I didn't make the promise. He made the promise. We just rest upon His promise. None of God's children deserve to go to heaven. None of us can say, no sin in me, I am without sin. None of us, none of us can say that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So, very important we realize that our forgiveness and our standing before the Lord is based upon His mercy and His forgiveness. It's not based upon how good we've been for the last seven days. Because I can pretty much guarantee you, you won't make it the next 30 days without having committed some sin of the mind or the mouth or the hand or something. It's hard enough to go through a day, let alone a week. You won't make it a month. But if you confess your sins, keep short accounts with sins, that's the key. And over time, God does give us the victory. And He knows our weaknesses, beloved. But we need to confess. We need to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, examine my heart. 
And maybe there's something you already know of. Confess it. Maybe the Lord will reveal something to you. Confess it. Agree with the Lord. Ask God to cleanse your heart. And then we'll proceed with the communion service. And so I invite you to bow your heads now and close your eyes. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.